Amen. Morning, church. Isn't it great to be here? I'm going to be honest. That, that wasn't good enough. Come on. We can do better. Morning, church. Isn't it good to be here? That's what I'm talking about. This is first service. You guys love Jesus more than anybody, right? Don't tell second service that. All right. Hey, we're talking about being a Christ follower and uh, what that looks like today. And one thing about being a Christ follower, to be connected, uh, to be a Christ follower, you have to be connected to Christ, right? You have to be connected to Jesus. I heard about a, a lady who posted a, um, uh, in a discussion forum online and uh, couldn't figure out why her power strip wasn't working. And so she put a picture of it on the, uh, on the forum and it looked like this. All right, some are like, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Infinite power, it's plugged into itself. No, for the power strip to work, it's gotta be connected to, to power. To follow Jesus, to be his follower, to be like Jesus, you have to be connected to Jesus. There's no way around it. You don't have power without being connected to Christ. Today we're talking about uh, discipleship. And disciple, I know that's a, a church word, uh, but Jesus used it. And so I want to make sure we're all on the same page as far as what does it mean to be a disciple. Uh, we see that w that's what Christians, or I'm sorry, let me back up. A disciple is a follower. Christians, you know where that comes from? It comes from Acts 11. You see it in Acts 11 that that's the name that was given to the disciples of Jesus. The, the people that followed Jesus were called Christians. Now, there can be confu confusion on this. It, it's, it's quite simple. We're going to go with the definition Jesus used as far as a disciple. A disciple is a follower, a learner. A disciple, in Luke 6.40, Jesus says, is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. You see, a disciple of Jesus is someone who is being trained to be like Jesus. And so discipleship is simply the word for the process of becoming like Christ. When, when we follow Jesus and to be like Jesus, we sometimes set the bar way too low. That Following Christ and being like Christ is not something that we can do in our own strength, in our own power. I don't know if you're like me, but if there's times you look around and think, man, I am just not getting this. I am just, you know, I fly off the handle when I don't mean to. I get aggravated with my kids. I, I get upset when I have to wait in line at the grocery store. I, I can't handle my road rage. I, I, you fill in the blank times where you look around and you think everybody else has so much more progress in being like Jesus, but you seem to be missing it. Well, the, the good news is it's, it's not you, it's all of us. None of us can do this, be discipleship. None of us can be like Christ without Christ. We're all in the same boat. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is going to tell people that they cannot be his disciple. Jesus in the gospel of John, in the book of John, he says that apart from him, you can do nothing. That following Jesus is costly. Oh, but it's worth it. 
Following Jesus will cost you, but it's so worth it. It's interesting. Well, well, let's read our text and then go from there. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are harsh words that picture the scene we've just been, spent three, the past three weeks looking at this dinner party Jesus was at and how, man, it was a spectacle. You know, the, uh, that feast in those times were, were semi-public events and here Jesus is calling out the religious leaders, the host and, and spinning everything upside down. And it says great crowds followed him. You can imagine the excitement, but then Jesus turns on the crowd. He says, you can't be my disciple. What, what, but look at what he said. He said, you gotta hate your father and mother, your, your wife, your kids. You've gotta hate your family, those closest to you. Now, if we isolate this passage here and think this is all that Jesus said, then we're gonna come to the wrong conclusion. That, that you've got to look at the whole teaching of Jesus. You've got to look at the breadth of scripture to get, what is he saying here? I mean, Jesus, when you associate Jesus, it, even non-believers would say, well, he was a teacher of love, not of hate. That, that Jesus is the one who said, Matthew, he said, hey, you've heard, you know, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus had just been showing his love for the social outcast and healing. And, and at the dinner party of what he said to go out and invite the people that can't pay you back. Jesus obviously doesn't just mean this is everything right here to go hate your family. So what does he mean? Well, look at his life. His mother, Mary, she was there when Jesus was nailed to the cross even in the midst of all that pain, I can't imagine what Mary must have been feeling seeing her son crucified. Even in all that pain though, what did Jesus or who did Jesus love? The father. The father. He, he prayed the night before the cross, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass, but not my will, your will be done. And there he is on the cross. He could have called legions, thousands of angels down. He could have gotten off the cross. When he saw Mary there crying, he could have said, it's okay, mom, and hopped off the cross. But he didn't. Why? Because he loved the father even more. But you notice on the cross, even Jesus took time and all the anguish to make sure that Mary was cared for. But Jesus says to hate. It, it, following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus will cost us personal relationships. And if we are not willing to give up our personal relationships, then we cannot be his disciple. 
That some of you, I feel for you because you're in a hard place right now. That some of you are coming here and you are getting grief at home for it. Your, your, your spouse doesn't understand why you're choosing to be here worshiping Jesus instead of out having fun with the rest of the family. Some of you are getting grief over pursuing Jesus day in and day out to where others might perceive that you hate them. That your love for the Father is so much more that it can be perceived as hatred. You see, unless we love him more than anything, then we cannot be his disciple. But notice it's not just loving others. It's loving Jesus more than others and more than self. You follow me? More than self. This is where it gets hard, right? Luke 14, 27, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Following Jesus will cost you your life. Not just your personal relationships, but it'll cost you your life. When we look at scripture and we think about Jesus, we all have parts we like to emphasize. We all have parts about Jesus that we love. We love, you know, he is a friend of sinners. We love that he's a healer. We all, we all do this of where we emphasize parts of Jesus and maybe we even sometimes try to make Jesus fit into our mold instead of his. I, I, I like what, um, what, what Kevin DeYoung wrote. There's the Republican Jesus who is against tax increases and activist judges for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except when they're not as open-minded as they are. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash while looking very German. <laughs> There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus, who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. There's spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude, Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. 
There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, a wise inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your sinner. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then, hear this, and then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. This Jesus was a creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. This Jesus is a Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood, the Christ promised to Abraham, the Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites, the Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was king, the Christ revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world and substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we could ever think possible. You see, it doesn't matter what we or anybody else says about Jesus. What matters is who he is. What we think or say isn't going to change that. We, we try to make Jesus into something he's not. We try to make him fit into our mold instead of who he is. We, we totally miss the beauty of the gospel when we do this. When you look at it, Jesus he is the Christ. Christ is not his last name. We've talked about that before, that Christ, he's the anointed one. He's Messiah. He is king. Jesus is the Lord of lords and king of kings. I think, though, we might have a skewed perception on king. When you think about king, what comes to mind? I know my first thought when I hear the word king is Burger King right? Have it your way. Or maybe you think about King Charles and the royal family, all the tabloids, or historically think about King Tut. Maybe for the younger ones, we'll think Magic Kingdom and think about all the fairy tales and stories of kings, princesses, and princes. Maybe you think about the Bible and you think about bad kings like King Ahab or King Herod. Or maybe you think about good kings from the Bible. Maybe you think about David and Solomon. Maybe you think about when king, you, you have negative, strong, anti-king um, sentiments because as Americans, I mean, our whole story begins with what? The rejection of a king and a revolution. We just celebrated it right? That our concept of king can change how we see the gospel. That what can we learn from 
from seeing Jesus as king in the correct view might shape our entire picture of the good news of the gospel. That when we look at, at king, we're all wired to have a leader. We're all followers. Even sci-fi, if the aliens ever come, the, what do they always say? You know, when aliens, fictional aliens come, they say, take us to your leader. We all want a leader. We all want a king over and over in scripture. We see people trying to be, force someone to be king, someone being made king, someone wanting to be king. Jesus describes the crowds as sheep without a shepherd. But perhaps one of the saddest times in Israel's history, God's own people, they didn't have a king. God was their leader. God was their king, right? The prophets spoke for him. And yet the people looking at all the nations around them and seeing how the other nations had kings to lead them, they wanted to be politically correct. And so they demanded a king. And in 1 Samuel 8, God tells Samuel, warn the people what, how a king will work. That a king, and he gives them the warnings in 1 Samuel 8, that a king will, will take your children. He'll tax your income. He'll tell you what to do. That's how kings work. And yet they still wanted a king. They were rejecting God. You see, since the beginning of time, there have been two kingdoms at war. There is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and then there the kingdom of light, and then there is the kingdom of darkness, led by our enemy, Satan. These two kingdoms have been at war, and it goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis when you see Adam and Eve in the first temptation. What's at stake there to eat? It's, it's an assault on God. Why is he king? I mean, Adam and Eve ruled with God, right? But, but why? why? Why is God king? Uh, he knows that if you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. You see, one kingdom is clear that God is king and the other kingdom says anyone else. And a lot of times, that kingdom will pursue a kingdom of self. It's that kingdom where you are number one, you are most important. It's the idolatry of I. It's the monarchy of me. It's the sovereign of self. It's the, I'm building my own kingdom and I am sovereign over my own life. And I want what I want and I want to be king. And so I'm king, I'm in charge. We all have this in us, right? That we love to be served. We love to be the one calling the shots. We love to be the one in charge. We, it, we want to be king. It, it's, it's the way that we're all, we all gravitate towards. And so the kingdom of darkness takes us. But you look right there in Genesis 3, man, you have the promise of a Messiah that God says there's going to be a king who is going to crush the serpent's head, who is going to make things right. And so here we come to Christ, the Messiah, the king. That is good news. I, I don't think we understand this, that that. Jesus being king is really, really good news. Really good news. All right, if I, I were to ask you, all right, my, my wife, oh, I love it when she, 
she asked me Bible questions, you know? I love getting to, and she knows the Bible very well, you know? But when she asked me, it's like a chance to show off, you know? And so she asked, Chad, what's the gospel? <laughs> I said, oh yeah. First Corinthians 15, right? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel of Christ. Megan said, okay, well, can you explain this? Why does Mark 1 say, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. How could Jesus come onto the scene in Mark 1 before he's gone to the cross, before he's been buried, before he's been raised to life? How can he come and preach the gospel and tell people to believe in the gospel? She schooled me. <laughs> Straight up, schooled me. Well, no, the gospel is that. But there's more. The gospel is that Christ is king that he was ushering in a new kingdom, that we are not locked into the kingdom of darkness, but the gospel is the good news that he can be our king, that we can be set free and be a part of his kingdom to which there is no end. That is good news. See, when you understand that Christ is king unlike any other king, that instead of one who takes, <laughs> he's one that lays down his own life. When you see the goodness of him being king, all of the sudden what seemed like the worst thing of denying yourself and picking up your cross becomes the best thing. Do you hear me? That, 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 that cross of saying, it's hard, I, don't, I am not minimizing the pain, that it is hard. But to deny ourselves and say, I don't wanna be king of my life anymore. You are king because I make a mess of things when I'm king. That you are my king. That it is worth it to pick up that cross, to have him as your king. Do you understand? But if you don't see that, if you don't see the good news of being part of Jesus' kingdom, then why would you ever pick up your cross? You see, unless we see the good news of who he is and what he's done, the opportunity we have, we will never be his disciple. We will never follow him the way we are called to. You see, we are to count the cost in the next verse, in verse 28, he goes on, for which of you, Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is still yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Two examples of the significance, the importance of counting the cost. If you've ever felt like this isn't what you signed up for, 
You can't say that about Jesus' call for people to follow him. When he turns to the crowd and tells them they can't be his disciple unless they are willing to renounce everything that they have, that they cannot be his disciple unless they're willing to count the cost. Jesus doesn't pull a bait and switch. He's not like, like, like emphasizing all of the good things about following him, but none of the bad. No, he, he says, here it is. He doesn't set the bar low. He sets the bar high. You want to be my follower? You want to be my disciple? You want to become like me? Are you willing to pay the price? You see, the worst thing we can do is make, make anyone believe that, that their walk with Christ is all about them. The worst thing I can do is convince you that it's about you and your personal walk with Christ. Yes, yes, your walk with Christ is personal, but it's not exclusively personal. It's bigger than that. Do you see the first man who didn't count the cost? What happened? When he built the tower, wasn't able to finish. People mocked him. You see, our walk with Christ, when we uh, give our lives, we are in Christ Think about this. He is the head. We are the body. The church is described as a body. It's not all about any one of us. It's all of us are the body of the hands and feet of Christ. That each body has a member uh, uh, or several members that have different functions. The body needs you. You have been gifted. You have been called to be a part of this. You have been called to serve. When one part of the body suffers, all of it suffers. When one part of the body isn't connected and disconnects and doesn't do its role, guess what? The body has to compensate for that. You see, the, the personal walk with Christ, it, it's personal, but it's beyond that. It's bigger than that. This man was mocked. He didn't count the cost, so he didn't finish. How many of us have seen people who didn't count the cost? They were all excited when they first heard about Jesus and wanted to follow him. They were all excited and jumped all the way in. No reservations, but they didn't count the cost and down the road, it became a price they weren't willing to pay. They jumped out. They quit. They turned their backs. The world mocks when they see that. You see, there's more at stake. It's costly to follow Jesus. This, the second example of the king, there is spiritual warfare. There is a battle to fight when you become a Christ follower. There is a, a fight to fight and a race to run. Are you willing to go the distance, no matter what it costs? Are you willing to give him everything that no matter what happens, you'll follow him? You see, we, we always say count the cost of following Jesus, but, but what about the cost of not following Jesus? Look in verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We all want a life of significance. And many people find, well, most will say their family, their their faith, their career, all this brings significance. But I want to ask, well, not just significance, what, what is going to bring your life eternal significance? It's following Christ. It's being 
made to be like Jesus. You see, this isn't easy. We can't do it unless we're connected to Christ. We need him. Hear me out, but that's the only way our life has significance, eternal significance, is if we are connected with Christ. So what happens to the salt here? Notice the salt loses its saltiness. And it is what? No use. It's thrown out. Now, I know Irwin's out here thinking, well, actually, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Sodium chloride remains. All right, we don't have time to go into this. If salt isn't going to be salty, it's no longer good for anything. It's thrown away. It's no use. If your name's Irwin, I'm sorry, okay? That just sounds like a smart guy to me, all right? My point here is if, if the saltiness loses its salt, we are the salt of the earth is what Jesus called his followers. If we are not going to be the salt, then we are what? We are throwing our lives away, aren't we? Our chance at eternal significance of making him a difference for him, of living and embracing his kingdom here and now, we will never understand that. We will not be his disciple unless we're going to go with him till the end. You see, we have this challenge and we have a heart to see everyone know Jesus. We want to make it easier for everyone to know Jesus. And, and sometimes with this heart, we set the bar way too low. At following Christ, it's costly. It's messy. But it is worth it. It's... It, it's a simple question I want you to ask. Are you pursuing, are you growing closer to Jesus or are you drifting away? Are you pursuing Jesus or are you drifting away? It's like any marriage relationship. You don't get married, say, I love you. We're good to go. 25 years later, we've not dated, we've not held hands, we haven't spent time together, we haven't talked. I haven't told her I loved her. I told her 25 years ago, goodness, right? No, no, that, that's, that's not a solid, <laughs> solid relationship, right? Any strong relationship is going to have continual pursuit. The same is true with Christ. We, we don't get saved and say, well, we're good to go. No, it's pursuit of him, of being made like him. Only he can do that. This isn't a self-help group. This isn't a self-help book. He is the one who does it, that he fills us with his spirit, that we can carry out the will of God to accomplish and bring glory to God. Isn't that exciting? If that doesn't excite you, then you can't be his disciple you're not willing to pay the cost. What is it that's holding you back? You know, it's funny to me how, have you noticed how people that spend a lot of time together over the years, they begin to look like each other? Have you noticed that? Same with Jesus. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did when you first started following? We need to have this even if, this faithful, no matter what, pursuit of Jesus. Too many of us have a circumstantial faith where we 
yeah, we'll, we'll worship him as long as things are good, as long as everything's good at the job and at home, kids are healthy, bank accounts are nice. I'll, I'll, I'll be here there on Sunday. And no, even if no matter what, will you follow Christ? No matter what happens, when the test results come back horrible, when everything looks bleak and you can't seem to see Jesus anywhere in the picture, will you still pursue him? You see, that's what we're called to. Don't settle for less. Church, following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it. And there's a world that needs us to make it easier for them to know that they can know Jesus. Love you, church.